Friends, we're one week away from Christmas Eve. We have the shortest possible Advent this year because Christmas falls on a Monday. And so the fourth Sunday of Advent, next Sunday, is also Christmas Eve. Uh, now, you don't get a twofer. You've got to go to Mass twice next weekend, right? Uh, and today we celebrate uh, Gaudete Sunday. Uh, and that comes from that entrance antiphon that we sang together. It's that entrance antiphon that we sang today in English has been around in Latin for about a thousand years. And it's, of course, quoting uh, St. Paul in Philippians. And it's a command to us to rejoice, to rejoice always in the Lord. And this is why uh, today uh, I'm wearing rose. Now, uh, you might think that I'm wearing pink, but you'd be wrong. Jesus did not pink from the dead. He rose from the dead. Um, and, and so uh, it, it's not pink, it's rose. And if you say otherwise, I'll see you in confession. <laughs> now, friends, we don't have a lot of time left it before Christmas to prepare liturgically, but uh, we, do, we are still waiting. And remember, we wait as human beings because we're human. We don't get to choose whether we wait or how long we wait, but we do get to choose how we wait and what we do while we're waiting. And those choices make a difference. How we wait matters. It, in fact, influences whether we flourish or fail as human persons. Now, we talked about how we wait with faith two weeks ago, that trust, that personal adherence to God. And we also wait in hope. We hope in God and we hope for God. When I say we hope in God, it means that we hope to receive Uh, things from him. He's the source of our hope, but he's also the one for whom we hope. We desire to be in communion with him. He is our hope. That's what heaven is. In this waiting, though, another question emerges. What do we do while we wait? You might remember two weeks ago, I told that story about my dad who could make up a game in any situation, and, uh, and there was something to do in any situation of waiting so that uh, we didn't have to just sit there and do nothing. We look back in Advent uh, to the prophets and to the forerunners of Jesus in order to understand how we should wait today. Um, and today, the church places before our eyes... Uh, two of the greatest examples of waiting that we have in the Bible. John the Baptist and Mary, the mother of Jesus. If we want to learn what to do in the waiting, we can look to them. What do they do in the waiting? So we're going to kind of look at how the Blessed Mother waits, and then we're going to look at how John the Baptist waits and see what we can draw out of those two people's example for our waiting. What are we supposed to do? Let's begin with our Blessed Mother. What does Mary do in her waiting? Now, you might remember the Gospel of the Annunciation that we heard uh, about a week ago at the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception. And I want to start there uh, today. When the Annunciation occurs, and Mary says yes to bringing the Savior into the world, uh, she says, let it be done unto me according to your will, Mary's life changes. Now, she was full of grace from the first moment of her conception, but still there were questions. How would this come about? In fact, that's her question. How can this be? For I do not know man. That's her question right there. But she says yes. And then it says this in the Gospel of Luke. It says, and the angel departed from her. And it must have been one of those moments of 
How? How is this going to come to pass? Now, something had changed, right? Christ had become incarnate in her womb, but still there was a waiting. Still there, she exercised faith and hope in God. She exercised uh, those two virtues. But then she did something. It says in the next line of the Gospel of Luke, then Mary, during those days, set out and traveled to the hill country in haste to a town of Judah. The angel departs from her, leaving her to wait for the fulfillment of the promise that she knows will come. And she waits with faith and love, but she does something in that waiting. She makes a long and difficult journey, in fact, from Nazareth to Ein Karim, in the hill country of Judea. And for what purpose? She goes to serve her cousin Elizabeth. This is the mystery of the visitation that we pray in the rosary on a regular basis, uh, where Mary goes to serve her cousin Elizabeth. But we might ask, what form does that service primarily take? First and essentially, that service takes the form of proclaiming the goodness of God. Now, today we, get a, uh, we do get a twofer in, the, in our readings, right? Um, I don't know if you noticed, but we actually read from two parts of the gospel today because the responsorial psalm is the Magnificat. So that's found in Luke uh, chapter one, uh, and it's the, the song that Mary sings at uh, the moment when Elizabeth says, blessed are you among women. That's where we get the Hail Mary from. And, and Mary proclaims the goodness of God. She points to God in, the moment, uh, in, in that moment of, of great joy for her and Elizabeth. She reflects God's goodness. Now, to who? To Elizabeth and to Zachariah. To Elizabeth and to Zechariah and to John the Baptist, who was in the womb of Elizabeth. Now, this couple, Elizabeth and Zechariah, we shouldn't forget that they were old beyond the time of childbearing, that they had kind of uh, actually lost hope that they would ever have a child. And Mary comes and she points to God's goodness and to his blessing. In her time of waiting, then Mary sets out to do this great act of charity to proclaim the goodness and the kindness of God through service to her cousin. That type of charity, loving God above all first, and then pointing others to him through words and actions, conditions her entire life. She does that over and over again in the Bible. You can think of the wedding feast at Cana. She points to Jesus. At the cross, in fact, she points to Jesus. She invites us to look at Jesus with that in mind, let's now turn to John the Baptist, the other great figure that we see in our readings today. John, who danced in the womb of his mother Elizabeth when Mary came to visit, uh, to visit uh, her because of the presence of the Lord, continues to point out Jesus as well throughout his entire life. He waits for the Messiah, whom he knows is his cousin, to reveal himself with love. But in the meantime, he doesn't just uh, sit around and do nothing. He recognizes, in fact, that he has a specific role to play in the drama of salvation history, to draw others to come to be ready to meet Jesus. He points not to himself, but to Jesus, and he follows God in a radical way, going out into the wilderness, in fact, and subsisting on locust and wild honey in order uh, to give a credible witness to what God can do. He goes out of himself and prepares fertile soil, to prepare fertile soil for the coming of Jesus. He makes the way straight for the Lord's arrival. He confronts evil and preaches, offering a baptism of repentance 
for the forgiveness of sins, in preparation for the preaching of Jesus, in preparation for the coming of the kingdom of God, which happens when Jesus uh, proclaims, uh, proclaims it. Most remarkably, though, John gives witness to Christ as he waits in a dark prison cell where Herod imprisons him for speaking the truth. He dies, in fact, a very ignominious death because in the waiting he's called to give witness to Jesus. What could we say in summary then of what John did while he waited? He loved God above all things, even to the point of laying down his life for the sake of others, of calling others to love him. Both Mary and John teach us how to wait. And in fact, they uh, teach us that we're called to charity while we wait, and they give us a specific example of how to live out that charity on a daily basis. That they point to the fact that our charity is to direct others to an encounter with the living God, with Jesus. Charity is the theological virtue by which we love God above all things for his own sake and our neighbor as ourselves for the love of God. It's the greatest of all the virtues we've been talking about these past three weeks and it's because it's the only one that will persist in heaven. In heaven, you won't need faith and you won't need hope because you will know God face to face and you'll have what you desire. But you will need love. In fact, charity will persist because Heaven is the eternal exchange of love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to which we're called. So what does that mean about how we are to wait? What are we to do in our waiting? We're called to love as Mary loved and as John loved and ultimately as a reflection, an overflow of the love we have received from Him, the love we receive from Him here at this altar. He gives Himself to us and we are to make haste to help others to realize that they are waiting, that God has a great plan for their life, and that Jesus is the Savior in whom they can place their trust. Now, that's a high task, brothers and sisters. It's a a challenging task. And it's a task that we uh, we often fail at. And I think the reason that we fail at it is we get distracted, right? We live in a world uh, of increasing distraction and it takes our focus away from the Lord. I have uh, in my pocket, not right now because I take it out um, because I've learned to take it out, uh, but a a phone at all times that I can just sit and scroll on, right? I can look at things, I can figure out, uh, I can basically entertain myself to death. And I bet you have one of those phones too, at least most of us do, uh, where there's just constant distraction. There's constant Uh, taking our focus away from the Lord. And uh, we go from thing to thing then with hurry rather than haste. We allow our things to be distracted. We allow ourselves to be distracted with things other than the Lord our God and the love of our neighbor for his sake. And those distractions keep us from recognizing the opportunities that we have to share the gospel with others. We fall often because of distraction into sloth, doing anything and everything other than the one thing necessary, and sorrow results. But if we refuse to allow ourselves to be distracted as best we can, we can be like John and Mary, who make haste to do the work of the Lord even in the time of waiting. Because of this fact, because they spend their life 
in service to the Lord, they receive a joy with which nothing and no one can take from them. They're not distracted from their purpose. Like John and Mary then, we are invited today to make a firm decision to make haste to love, even as we await the coming of the Lord. Now, all of that's kind of high, like, in the sky, right? Like, there's, there's a, okay, those people did those things a long time ago, and they loved in that way. But I want to make this really practical today. I want you to imagine with me what would happen to our community if we each, if each of us made a firm decision to love as Christ loved us and made haste to accomplish it in practical, by practical means. One of, those, one of the greatest ways we can love another person Jesus says that the greatest love is to lay down your life for a friend. But something that's like that is to share Jesus with another person. To give someone the gift of meeting Jesus through our words and actions. We've been anointed, brothers and sisters, as baptized followers of Jesus. And if you're not baptized, I'd love to talk to you. And uh, I'd love to invite you to follow Jesus. We've been anointed to bring glad tidings to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to prisoners, to announce a year of favor from the Lord and a day of vindication by our God. We can, as Christians, offer something amazing to the world. We can offer the good news, a reason for hope in the midst of a very distracted world. It happens in friendships and friends This is a great gift. I want to offer then two practical ways that we can do that this week. First, I want you to think of people you can share Jesus with this week, right? Friends, family, especially those who are unchurched or who maybe have fallen away from uh, the practice of the faith. I would implore you to pray for them to reach out to them in kindness and love because you care for them, but more because you love God. You know, next um, Sunday and Monday, it's very likely that many of us, I know that this is true in my family, many of us will have people around our Christmas table um, who don't go to church anymore or, or maybe who never have gone to church. And it's a great thing that they're there. How will you approach them? How will you share the good news of Jesus? It may not be the fact that you have to like, you, you, you tell them the gospel right then and there. But how are you going to uh, be an inviting, authentic witness to the love of God in their life so that they might come to know that love and share the joy you have in Jesus Christ? How will you invite them to hope? Now, I do challenge you to take one of those cards that we have um, at all the exits that have the Mass schedule on them and just to invite someone to come to Mass, maybe a friend, a co-worker, um, and invite them to come to Mass and to share Christmas joy with us. The second practical thing that I would invite you to do is to consider who is going to be at Mass next weekend, especially at the Christmas Eve Masses and Christmas Day Mass. You know, there's probably going to be a lot of people in Mass next weekend who don't normally come to Mass. That's a pretty, pretty good bet. Uh, each Christmas Eve, if you've come to Christmas Eve Mass, you know that that's usually the case. Friends, they are our mission field. The people who come to Mass who aren't normally here next week, how are we going to encounter them? 
Are we going to share the joy of the gospel with them or not? You know, let's make this really practical, right? How are we going to greet them? How are we going to be kind to them? Um, are we willing to, uh, and this is really, really practical, right? Are you willing, brother or sister, to give up your seat, the seat you love so much, right? I stand up here all the time. I see where people sit. Everyone sits in the exact same place, which is okay. It's not a bad thing. But are you willing, when, when someone's sitting in your seat, to greet them with a smile and encounter them with joy that they're here and that they have the opportunity to encounter Jesus and your joy and your kindness uh, and to allow your joy and kindness to help them to encounter Jesus? Will you give up your comfort for their encountering Jesus, brothers and sisters? I implore you to please start praying for those who will come to Mass who don't normally come to Mass uh, next weekend. Pray for them this week. This is our mission field, brothers and sisters. We have an opportunity to help people be caught up into the love of God in which our salvation consists so that they can say with us and with Mary, my soul rejoices in God my Savior.